This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is Nabil Mahmood, your host, live from Data Center World in Orlando, Florida. This is Philip Koblenz, your co-host, also live from Data Center World in Orlando, Florida. And this is Bill Clayman, EVP of Digital Solutions over at Switch. And it, it's just so humid here. It is so humid. The first day I was just completely sweaty. I feel much better now. And yes, we are live at Data Center World and nice and locked into a quiet room. And we're joined by, he's underselling, the master of ceremonies of Data Center World, the data center diva himself, Bill Clayman. I, I think that's it's a one. That, that's going to go on my resume. <laughs> yes, I'm the host. I am the MC, and it's an honor to be here with both of you, Abiel and Bill, and to be here at Data Center World. Outstanding. Glad, glad you're here. So how does it feel to meet people in person after 18 months? You know, it's funny, Nabil, you and I stood outside over there and we, we had like a really brief conversation while it's, it, you know, uh, what was the word that I recently heard? Travel fit, right? I don't feel travel fit, right? I have baby feet on. You know, it was really weird. On Monday morning, I had a conversation on DSA, data center management innovation, really cool topic. I knew this deck like the back of my hand, two and a half hour session. I get up in front of this room of people at eight o'clock in the morning and I froze. They didn't know it, but inside my head, I'm like, I have to look at people. Right. I have to make eye contact. I have to like read the room. I brushed the rust off a little bit and it felt much better. What does it feel like, Nabil? It's it's wonderful. It's absolutely amazing. I finally realized just how much I missed human beings. In case you didn't notice, I like people. And it's it's been a wonderful experience to be up on stage, to network, to fist bump, elbow bump, you know, high five, occasional hugs. It's really special. I think it's been wonderful. One of the things that people don't recognize, they think of like the data center world, critical infrastructure world as being, you know, this, these kind of introverts in our world. And, and maybe we think of ourselves as a little bit socially awkward at times. There's no question about it. Walking around here, you see a lot of social awkwardness. But if you, if you want to know how much you strive for human contact, take it away for a year and a half. And oh my God, it's just like, I saw people that I would probably like avoid in the past. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe you're here. Oh, I love you so much. I can't believe, where have you been? <laughs> I missed you. Anyway. So you, SVP, at Switch? Yeah. Switch. Uh, like, uh, uh, EV. Oh, I'm Club. sorry. Club. EVP. Okay, let's redo that. EVP at Switch. How does one go from being just a kid with the dreams of grandeur, you know, wanting to be, you know, a cop, a cowboy, a fireman, and end up in your position? So, start. I am a millennial. Please don't blame, blame the world's problems on me. There's Gen Z. Thanks for but, the Kardashians. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So uh, I've had a chance to be a, an executive at a wonderful organization here here at Switch, and I get a chance to do a lot with Data Center World and AFCOM and Informatech as a contributing editor to, you know, Data Center Knowledge, Information Week, and, and Dark Reading. But it didn't just start with me saying, "Oh my God, data centers are so cool." Let me let me get in on this. There's a really interesting, and I'm really glad we're recording this because I'm going to give you a little surprise. This is the first time I'm telling the story. On a recorded podcast. This is a Nomad Futurist exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do it. A lot of people don't know. I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Kiev, Ukraine. And in Kiev, my brother, I have an older brother. He's 12 years older than I am. And I was little. I remember he used to compete in telegraph competitions, right? And he was really, really, really good at it. So he'd have his own headset and he'd be in the room and he'd go, and I'd always watch him. And I'd always like, try and see what he's doing and how he's, how fast he was communicating. He was like one of the top in his age group in the country. 
and he would let me sit on his lap and play with his system and his, his telegraph thingy. And he put that headset on and he taught me how to do like SOS and like longitude and latitude. And that was it. That was the first time. Can you imagine me saying that as a millennial that I was introduced to the concept of connecting people together through a telegraph, right? In, in the former Soviet Union. And I found that to be so fascinating. Fast forward, I got a degree, my undergrad in network engineering, and then a master's degree in, in, in business and um, MBA in marketing, which by the way, if you're listening to this and you got an like, engineering degree or an architecture degree, learn the language of business as fast as you can. Um, and then after that, a master's in information system security and really just started in tech really young, this childhood naivety and willingness to learn really propelled me not to be afraid to make a mistake, fail fast and, and get up even faster. And as a result, I wasn't afraid to speak to executives, see them as human beings, exchange ideas. And so that allowed me to go and work for, at the time, the largest Citrix partner in the country. So Microsoft, VMware, Citrix systems, building cloud virtualization environments. After that, I worked for a company called EPAM where, oh my goodness, dove in for an entire year into the world of DevOps application migration, cloud refactoring, application refactoring, cloud architecture and design. I moved an AS400 ecosystem into GCP with a team of talented people. And I'm sure people are like, well, did you just say an IBM AS400? Yes. And if you're curious about how we did that, ask me about it later. And then I might be the youngest person in history to, uh, to touch an AS400. <laughs> no, no, maybe though. Um, they're talking about- there, there are plenty well, of that are being converted into like Coffee tables on Etsy. I'm just not sure. <laughs> they still work. Mainframes don't break. Mainframes just don't break. Bill Clayman, mainframe dog. Just break. lover. Yeah. Frame lover. Here's my text from IBM. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up at Switch. It's been for two years now. And as their EVP of digital solutions, I get a chance to leverage pretty much my entire background working with our DevOps teams, our special project teams, what we're doing with data center design, and obviously lending executive leadership to help mentor kids, the future of our connected society, working with universities. And, and so you, you just, you just have to start with a vision, follow your passion and just continue to grow. And honestly, just be humble and kind. That's like the secret sauce. Let's go back in time a little bit. Ukraine to America, share that journey. How's that, how did that come about? Um, to keep it brief, you know, we, we saw when the collapse started happening in the, in the Ukraine and the Soviet Union right around 1989. Um, and that's when we kind of started to pack up our bags and leave. Um, it was challenging in, in, in a way, basically they tore up our passports, called us traitors to the nation and said, get out. And so we were political asylum refugees for about a year or so. We lived in Italy and I'm sorry, Austria and then Italy, and then finally got a, uh, a visa, political asylum visa to the United States, came and landed in the early nineties into New York first, good old Brighton beach for a little bit, and then flew out into Chicago. Um, and I'll tell you what, you know. It, learning the American culture, like I remember my first like Fruit Loops, my first burger, my first piece of dark chocolate, you know, my, my first like American French fries and just like having that sort of introduction was extraordinary. Um, being humble and kind is being a big part of it as well. We had nothing. We had like a few hundred dollars, had a backpack, maybe a couple of toys. They, they wouldn't let us take anything with us. We had to sell everything for pennies. And here I am like six, seven, eight years old coming to a country that's brand new. I have a couple of toy soldiers and work. You got to work your way all the way, all the way up. And that's really kind of the ethic that, that I've had my entire life. Um, but also try and surround yourself with people who know more, who can ask questions and not be afraid to look silly. And uh, being young, that's what I did in school. This same energy and personality is not something that developed over years. It's came right out of birth, right? 
Um, <laughs> and that's that's kind of how it all started, just being young and learning the ways of a new country, finally coming to terms and understanding American culture, say in high school. How was that with the family? They're stuck in their ways. They're adopted to a degree, but you're the first generation in America. It's a big cultural divide. How did that come about and where do they see yourself? I was really lucky. I came at a point where you can't hear an accent, not unless I, I turn on the Slavic accent. And then it gets very interesting. Let's talk about the data center. Give me information, no problem. Don't ask questions. Yeah, I've got friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I had a chance to, you know, be able to, to work with this accent, find a Midwestern, you know, style of speech that's really comfortable for me. I was really lucky. I was continuously immersed in the Slavic spe speaking, you know, ex-Soviet, Ukrainian, Polish, Russian communities. Um, my brother and I, we, we actually did, I can't believe I'm talking about this on, on the podcast. It's, it's called KVN, KVN, and you're going to hear me speak in Russian. It's called the Klub Vesolich and the Hochevich, which means like the club for like the happy and the lucky. And if you ever see the show, Whose Line Is it Anyway? It's the closest thing I can compare it to. Imagine that, but in Russian, like improv shows, <laughs> skits. Um, and I had a chance to do that really into my, into my twenties with him competing all over the United States, going out to like Los Angeles, you know, Nantucket, you know, New York, obviously and Seattle. Um, and then having international people, cause it's a global thing coming in from, from, from outside the country and, and competing with us. I was lucky. I was lucky that I had a chance to still stay immersed. Obviously I'm an American. We don't, we don't have a passport even to Ukraine. Um, there is a cultural divide. Obviously, most of my family does have an accent and they are much more closely connected, I think, with that Russian community, the Ukrainian community. Um, but I was fortunate enough where some of my other peers that are my age and maybe came by at the same time. A lot of times people come and they're like, you're an American. You're not going to speak any other language. You're not going to know anything else. You're an American. For us, it was a little different. I, mean, I got a three-year-old, right? She's three years and four months. She's running around the house and she's yelling things in Russian, right? And it's the cutest, most amazing thing in the world just having this little kid running around yelling, Babushka, Gnieti, which means like, Grandma, where are you? It, it's the best. So that cultural divide, I, I can feel it, certainly to an extent, but I try to instill at least the culture of, you know, the Slavic family that I've got into my kids. So I have a, I have a similar background. Um, I'm the first one actually born here. Um, I had, you know, a, a father from Riga, a mother from Latvia, and then, which I think you picked up on earlier that there was some similarities there. Um, and, you know, I think part of it is like um, you, your parents kind of look to you as, you know, the person that's going to take the baton and, and run with it. So um, in, in my world, it was like, it's all about, you know, the children and you get put up on that pedestal almost as, you know, a, a show off thing. Like, look what my kid is doing. Look what my kid is doing. Um, and, and to a certain extent, I think taking responsibility for it um, and, 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 and taking some of those accolades and, and feeling it very personally. Is it similar with you? Were you um, did, did your parents really like kind of foster that and, 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 and continue to, um, kind of support you as you, as you went, uh, throughout your career? A hundred percent. Yes. I feel bad for my brother who's 12 years old. And I am, like I said, I think he got the brunt of it. Right. And then I came along and I'm like, oh, this, this is what's easier. He can do whatever he wants. But I still play the piano. I still went, you know, taekwondo classes for years and years, you know, swimming, all of that. And it's, it's pretty standard, like right? Good parents get you into good programs and, and doing different things. But 
Um, yeah, absolutely. There's that, there's that mentality, you know, be proud of your child. You have to accomplish things. It's a, I think I noticed on social media, your father comments on your couple of times. Take a look at my boy. Yeah. What he's doing. Big boss at the beach. That's exactly what I hear him saying. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my mother reads that before <laughs> it goes out. And I'm also very confident that he uses Google Translate before it goes anywhere. <laughs> because I don't think you can write that well. I, I, I tell him where I go. I tell him which hashtag to use. Unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work out that way because you're like, I had very good dinner today. Hashtag data center work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, not, that's how it's going to work, Pop. Uh, let's, let's, you have to t- tweet something about the event and then hashtag data center work. No, I like, his way, I like his way better. I didn't it delete it. Better. it made, I didn't delete it. it. it that's, that's awesome. We had people downstairs from the data center world like, did he just tell us he's having dinner? All right. <laughs> All right. So move to America relatively well settled with American culture in, in high school. Mm-hmm. How'd you end up picking tech? There was a little bit of influence from your brother, mm-hmm. but it's still, still- The telegraph, the telegraph to the data center. I mean, it's actually, it seems like a natural progression thinking about it now, but you don't think of the telegraph as like the most hyper technology thing. I mean, yeah, obviously I mean, it's by this company point, string thing to it, but- Yeah, by this point in time, I mean, you're, you're entering college, telegraph is- Oh, is that yeah, we're, we're beyond Soviet telegraph technology here. Um, we started off with, with my fascination on connecting people and using technology to connect people. The telegraph, as obscure and silly as this might sound, was my first introduction really in an interactive way beyond like a phone, right? In cool technology aspects of connecting people through a different kind of means. Um, and so, and so I was always fascinated with that. And in high school, I took uh, um, AP computer science. I, I, you know, took stats classes as well to, to try and better understand how, how numbers and all that math classes play uh, into technology. But then outside of, of high school, I, I felt like tech was just such an interesting field that I could get into that you could grow and expand and none of it was gonna stop. None of it was gonna stop or slow down. And I started to see like sort of this evolution. Um, and I picked a field, I, you know, I got lucky with it. Network engineering it was a network and communications management undergraduate. Um, I went to DeVry, I was very happy about that. I was able to get my bachelor's by the time I was 21, my, my first master's by 24 and my second one by 26 or 27, right? I literally was such an overachiever this one. Years. God. Uh, it's, uh, it sounds such that it sounds really. How many initials do you have after your name? I don't have a middle name. I actually have just two names, Bill yeah. Clayman. Yeah, okay, but the, I'm a like slide. You got the MBA, yeah. MSc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. That's Soon. It. Challenge Soon. accepted. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> um, but no, I picked network communications management. And I, I was really fortunate because at, at DeVry, what happened was that I never lost interest in technology because, and this is, by the way, something that I'm trying to do right now with, with people that I mentor and work with is my professors were real world practitioners in the field at jobs, you know, working at Lockheed and Boeing. And then they were, they were yeah, occasionally teaching these classes. So the opposite of those that can't do teach. Literally. And no two, three, 400 student classrooms, really much more intimate class settings. You, you take a class, you go into a lab, you touch a server, you pull right. out of a rack. Because how else do you learn, right? Well, you learn that, by doing. That's a perfect example of vocational schooling, mm-hmm. right? It's a different route than the conventional American education that hasn't changed since the second industrial revolution. It's a great example. It's a great testament that you were able to define that. Question about, have you ever thought like if you were never to have to come to America and you lived in Ukraine, what would your life be like? Oh, wow. 
my, my, it probably would have been oligarchs by now. Dad worked <laughs> for, <laughs> for a very large oil and gas pipeline. It would have been better. Yeah. It would have been better. I didn't say that. It would have been better. I did not say that. It would have been oligarch. They would have been out of better. I would have owned half of Russia right now. Um, <laughs> You know, we, my family ended up spending time in, in, in Siberia also just to make money to, to be able to like buy like a summer house and whatnot. But to, to answer your question. Oh, and the summer house wasn't in, a, wasn't in Siberia. No, okay. no, but it, it, unfortunately it's not there anymore. So if I stayed in the Ukraine, so here, here's kind of like the, the challenging part of it. I'm Jewish. Right. And being Jewish in the Soviet Union, in the former Soviet Union now was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And anti-Semitism was very, very, very challenging uh, to deal with. And it, it was borderline dangerous on some occasions. The other challenge is, is the geopolitical element of it. The collapse of the Soviet Union was an extraordinary event, right? Lining up for like toilet paper and milk and, and eggs and stuff and your money being worthless. I don't know how to compare it to an American culture. Like imagine whatever you state you live in right now, all of a sudden says, forget it. I'm not leaving the United States. I secede, like legit secede. Now I have like the, the insert state here currency and and that's now you're it. back to one pump yeah we, we've got whatever whatever we got the widget dollar I, whatever you're gonna call right there's no infrastructure there's no way to support your state there's nothing are you your reliance on this giant other country's gone and that's it right it's it's hard to look back at that and say it would have been an exceedingly hard probably 10 to 15 years probably 10 years living in ukraine post-soviet era like that country was was ruined uh, and and they took them a while to sort of start to get to a point of rebuilding my parents understood that um, there was a huge number of expatriates who were doctors and, and, and lawyers and musicians and artists who who realized this was happening. It was the great Soviet brain drain, right? right? We weren't the only ones leaving. There was tens of thousands of refugees sort of migrating between some European countries to get political asylum to Canada and Israel and, and Europe. And, you know, we... We wanted to come to the United States because we- And in many cases, they would take all of that, um, that would, their background, and they would come here and literally start from the bottom. I remember my father coming here and, you know, starting like as a taxi driver, like the, like the preeminent, the thing that you do, taxi driver to mechanic to, somehow we ended up being a jeweler. But it's, 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 it's an amazing story and you see, and you, and you see it and you feel it. And and that experience, I think, even though, you know, you had to leave- um, the Ukraine and the life you knew, I mean, gosh, I can only imagine that it's made you so much, um, so, so much more resilient. Uh, I, I don't even know what the, what the right words are. I think it's one of those things that that's actually defined you and being stronger and, and just the realization, like it could have been totally different. Like you wouldn't be the person you are today. You listen, you're, I, you're contributing, you're giving back to the community, you're giving back to the industry. I'm glad I'm here. If I would have stayed, I bet you the time variance authority would have come and found me. Sorry, there's a Loki reference if you're familiar <laughs> with that one. And they're like, you shouldn't be here. You need to go to America. Prune this timeline. Right. Um, <laughs> but it, it, you're, you're right though. Resiliency is a really good word for it. I, I really feel humbled more often. I feel appreciative of everything that's around me. Um, that's, that's, I think, like the biggest core, I think, build that I've had about me is, is just being appreciative of, of everything and anything that I get in this life, which the challenge here is how do I instill that in my daughter, right? In my kid, right. this, this same level of appreciation and hardship I experienced as a kid. She's going to have to move to Rwanda. Anyway, um, the, um, it's, <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no question about that, but do you find it? Um, somewhat, you know, the, I think the, the, the knock on millennials and, and, you know, generation Y or Z or theta or beta or whatever number we are now is that, you know, they, they have the sense of entitlement 
um, which which you see a, a lot of time because they haven't experienced what you've experienced. Same issue I have with my kids and you have with your kids. How do you instill that that level of of humbleness? Because you know you want them to have all the nice things in in life. You want to just buy them things, especially if you have a little girl like I do. You just want to buy her things so she can wear it around. I really should teach her some Russian. But um, you know, do you do, how do you how do you approach that? How do you find um, dealing with you know entitled millennials? Wow, that is a really really good question, Phil. Um, I say I'm a millennial, but then I usually tell my story. People are like oh, you're, you're 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 like an aged millennial, yeah. right? We just have an old soul. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's got the accent. I'm pretty proud of him. Um, there's a term for me, because I'm, I'm in the later spectrum, a geriatric millennial. I've never thought of that. I still, come on, let's work on that. Um, Benjamin Button. It could have been. And that's a great way to go, right? <laughs> Reverse. I, I think I want to be a two-year-old again. Right. Um, back in Russia for you, Bill. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. So just kind of a side note, I get a chance to work with an organization called Infrastructure Masons, which by the way, is now doing a really cool partnership with AFCOM for a capstone program. And on that, uh, in that group, Infrastructure Masons, I Masons, I am the chairperson for the Millennial and Gen Z resource group. So I literally, a part of my role there is to go out, look and speak with and find other people that are like-minded. It doesn't matter what industry and how do you inspire them. Um, I have a friend, her name is Dr. Julie Albright. I don't know if you heard her or not. She, she, she's been on the podcast. There we go. Yeah, there we go. I'm not surprised. In her book, right? Left of Their Own Devices. I remember talking about it. I'm like, yeah, thanks for ripping my generation completely apart. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say now. And you're an anomaly, Bill. Yeah. And, <laughs> and in my research, right, we found out that Gen Zs are already fundamentally different than millennials and how they want to be managed, their value systems. And what was really inspiring, and I feel it still is in COVID kind of threw a wrench in this, is that this generation, that's one that's coming up, and I promise I'll answer the entitled millennium question, millennial question in a second, is Gen Z is supposed to be the penultimate balance between us, digital, and interpersonal communication. There were some really cool research studies done that showcased that for Gen Zs, their preferred method of work is small, intimate groups of people in person, and then secondary digital collaboration. Whereas with the millennial group who are not necessarily born into digital, but became sort of these, these adopted pioneers of it. They really jumped into the Twitters, the TikToks and, and all of that. And that became sort of a little bit more all encompassing. And that's the only way they communicate. Um, I, 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 entitlement is, is fine for me because as a manager who sometimes works with kids who just like want everything, I just challenge them. I'm like, yeah, cool. You want to be a director and you just throw scenarios at them. Like, how would you handle the situation? And then they make a fool of themselves. I'm like, cool. So you just totally broke something or you just totally destroy something else. Um, you but break it, them emotional. It, it's not about breaking them emotionally. That's a really good way of saying that. You make me sound like a drill sergeant. <laughs> it's about perspective, right? It's about opening their aperture and helping them understand what it is that you're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. And that there is, there is an element of you have to earn this. I mean, if you just given a Ferrari and you just learn to ride a tricycle, you're going to crash, right? If you're going to go ice skating and it's the first time you're wearing ice skates, you're going to fall. doesn't matter how entitled or confident you are. If this is the first time you're in a pool and you haven't swam before, you're going to have some problems. And the idea is to sometimes cater to their entitlement and sometimes even play to it. That's really cool. You are so good at what you do. Let's go try and work on this project and you make them feel important, empowered, and then you give them really, you give them legitimate tasks to help them grow. You know that these are tasks that they might not necessarily mess up, but you don't, I don't want to say take away their entitlement. You work with it, right? Be a river, not the rock. And that's, that's how, you know, I've had many, many different kinds of 
I don't kind of call them kids, right? People my age um, come to me and some of them want- you're a geriatric millennial. I'm a geriatric Anybody who's 30s now is a kid, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> kids these days. Oh man, that's pretty good. I didn't want my back. Get off my lawn. I don't think I've yelled at yet. I was at a squirrel or a rabbit that was eating our, <laughs> our, our, our garden. Um, but that, that's kind of, that's kind of been a fun way to sort of approach this new generation is, is try to not like battle them, not beat your head on the wall or bump, you know, fist together. Um, it, it's more about enabling them. And there's a little bit of psychology involved in there as well. Uh, how do you- A lot of it. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a bit of it, yes. Yeah. Which is why I recommend people take like a business degree and a business course so you can understand not just the language of business, but the people as well. Um, entitlement doesn't have to be a bad thing. Confidence is not a bad thing, right? Somebody who's out there and be like, I'm, I'm the best and I want to do this. I'm like, yes, you are. Let's go do something cool together. And then you empower and enable them and you let them grow and flow through that that sort of initial entitlement, what they want to do. Um, obviously there's, there's going to be millennials that are just like off, off the rocker, like yeah. off the rocker, like first interview, I want to be the CEO. It's like, whoa. Well, that's the thing. In the, in the olden days, it used to be like you started in the mailroom and then you worked at an organization for 30 years and then you went up through the ranks and then you eventually became BP, then SVP, then EVP and whatever. Yeah. And maybe one day you were the lucky few that could, you know, get promoted all the way to the top. Now, nobody stays at a job for more than a couple of years at a time. Because, you know, for one reason or another, I mean, it's just, it, to a certain extent, it makes sense. But to another, it's, you're, you're missing that kind of starting at the bottom. I love this. I, and I'm going to jump in on this really good because I think you're making a really good point, Phil. That's a millennial, right? Gen Z, job security. This is a generation that lived through 9-11, lived through the economic depression, that lived through a housing market crisis, right? This is, a, this is a generation that has seen and experienced volatility, right? This is a generation that actually will stay at a job longer and be more productive and be happier at what they're doing. And I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. The, the last three generations, they've seen the demise as well. You know, there's no commitment. I mean, unfortunately, our culture is lot that loyalty and commitment in, in doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's switch gears uh, for, for a minute. I mean, you, you've had a great career, are basically a perfect definition of being at the right place at the right time, working with the right people. Knowing what you know today, would you do anything different? Oh, you know, this was the, the armchair quarterback. Sure. Hindsight is twenty twenty. First, the silly answer, obviously, right? Buy more Google stock um, <laughs> or any any anything else that that clearly is doing. I, I, Amazon's going to be more than a bookstore. Who knew? Yeah, Who knew? There, there we go. Right? Yeah, maybe buy maybe buy a Dogecoin. Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> buy, maybe buy a Bitcoin. No, exactly. Yeah, buy a Bitcoin. Um, what would I do differently? I, it's it's funny, Nabil. I'm I'm almost unprepared to answer that question, and I wouldn't say anything in my life was was perfect. I think what I would tell a younger self is is slow down, take a breath. Um, in case you can't tell already, I, I I'm running a million miles an hour in between this and hosting this event. Um, I would tell myself to take a deep breath. And the other really big thing that I think I would try and alter, and I hope everybody's listening to this, is 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 listen with the intent of hearing. Um, don't listen to the intent of responding immediately. And I've had, I've been so fortunate to have leaders in my life that have taught me that I'm sitting at a boardroom meeting as a, um, what was my title? Like director of, so director of technology. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on my title at MTM technologies. And I, and I was sitting at a board and I was the youngest person there. They were talking like at like 50,000 feet around a project that I had some, some minor say in it. And I jumped in to, to like contribute. And I remember the CEO at the time, and I'm going to send this podcast to him, Steve Stringer, if you're listening to this, I'm calling you out. He said, Bill Clayman, 
see that chair right there? I'm like, yeah, I need you to pretend to be like the chair. Sit down and be quiet. I'm like, I sat down and be quiet. And he's one of these, he, it was a lesson. He was an amazing lesson. He was, he was like, you're fired, Bill. Get the hell out of here for talking about this. Right. He's like, Bill, this conversation is at this level. Doesn't concern you. Go be quiet and listen. And that was such a good lesson. That was such a wonderful lesson. And, and again, it's humility. And, and me saying, I don't have anything to say here. I need to sit right. down and listen a little bit. That's probably the one thing I would do different is, is, is take a deep breath, slow down a little bit, take more stuff in. Because otherwise, it's been really a fun ride. It's been a really, really good ride between school and, and meeting people and just, and just growing. The best advice I ever got that I never take, as everybody that listens to the podcast is, is you have two ears and one mouth. Act like it. I'd, I'd cover that for you. <laughs> for the listeners, what's the secret sauce for your success? It, it, you know what's really funny, Nabil? I've sat on so many of these podcasts and I usually talk about, Bill, tell me about cloud. Tell me about security. Tell me about, you know, IoT technologies. And I could talk at, you know, at nauseam about all those technologies. And, and here we are talking about like my, my life and, and what's the secret sauce. This is probably one of the most challenging challenging uh, podcast that I've done because yeah. I, I have to, you know, reflectively think about that. This is going to sound so cheesy. Just, just be, just be a kind human being. If there was one, if there was one thing I, I would, would tell people is just be a kind person and also never, ever, ever lose your childhood sense of wonder ever, ever keep playing with toys, you know, keep imagining, you know, it, it, nothing that was invented was never imagined first. And I think that's something that I've done every single day. I have a vivid and wild imagination. And, you know, I know my boss and, and CEO Rob Roy appreciates that because all of us on our team, we all have that, that kind of imagination. And then just don't be afraid to follow that. I think maintaining a, a childhood sense of naivety, like just being kind. I mean, we, we spoke before this thing, it was recorded. I think you're both great. Um, that's been really, that's been a really big key, I think, to success is, is again, don't, don't, don't be afraid to have that, that childlike, you know, vision and, and enthusiasm about everything and anything that you do, regardless of what it is. I think, I think one of the, it's, 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 it's amazingly, it's not cheesy at all. It's amazingly, um, prescient, um, advice. And, you know, I think a lot of people just, they have their guard up, like especially kids, they have their guard up and they don't want themselves. They don't want to, they don't want to act. There's a vulnerability in suggesting you don't know something. Mm. Um, and people sometimes have a hard time kind of becoming vulnerable and opening themselves up to come at someone saying, oh, you don't know what this is. You don't know how this goes. And I think that's, you know, a lot of what you're saying is like, open yourself up to learn, you know, just, just don't be curious. It's so scary to be hurt. It's really scary to be hurt. And for everyone listening, you know, it's really scary to get up there and talk in front of, you know, one to 900 people, however many, you know, folks I get a chance to speak to. And you have to turn off that, you know, that filter of, of oh my God, they're judging me. They don't like my socks. My shirt is too big. You know, I, I still have my accent. Yeah, I still have here. Data center is fun. Um, I, I, but, but realistically, it's, it's, it, it's trying to come out there and just being an honest and, and open individual and, and just not being afraid. Walt Whitman said something that I think is really, really cool. It was actually featured in a, in a Ted Lasso episode, which if you haven't seen that, it's a great show. It was uh, be curious, not judgmental. And whenever somebody judges you, oftentimes it has nothing to do with you. It reflects more on them. It reflects more, almost sometimes everything about their insecurities, what they're unsure about. And the only way they can defend themselves in their own insecurities is by going after you, right? And it usually has nothing to do with you. 
Um, and I'm, I'm looking at the microphone right now saying this, so I know you can't see me, but I want you to know that I'm expressing this to you. He's looking straight into your ears. Right there. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but in that sense, you know, be curious and not judgmental. Ask questions, learn things. And, and, and just the less you judge and the more you learn and the more open you are, the more accepting anybody and everybody's going to be of you. That, that is a, the biggest thing. That's a big way to get over like stage fright is just, just be curious, not judgmental, and don't think that people are judging you. I think that's just a generally good practice and very well said. I want to stay a kid for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you should. But the minute you start thinking like an adult is when you actually start putting the walls around you and, mm -hmm. and, and you think that you're putting this shell to prevent you, but you're actually disconnecting. Mm -hmm. You're doing things without a reason. So stay humble and be a kid. Yeah, always. <laughs> Bill, thank you very much for joining us today. This was phenomenal. Great to get to know you on a personal level. I really enjoyed the podcast and thank you for your contributions to uh, your generation. A future Bill Clayman. And if even one person is created, we will be doing society a big favor. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you so much, Nabil. And thank you for everyone listening. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.